0: scary ghosts, creepy serial killers, all things that go bump in the night. Enjoy the view from the open shutters. <laughs> well, happy Mother's Day, Creepsters. This is a special... Happy Mother's Day, Philip.
1: Yes, Happy Mother's Day to you. I'm sure your mama to
0: somebody.
1: <laughs> Everybody's mama to somebody. Well, you know,
0: this is our, our series. This week is called "Mama Mia Murderous Moms," but this is a bonus episode we're doing about two moms who are Hollywood divas, and they're not murderous, but their daughters wrote some really nasty, scathing things about them. And to add insult to injury, they were bitter rivals that had a feud that went on for decades. You know who we're talking about? Uh, about Philip. Oh yes, honey. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, and we um, we doing is we're covering their uh, their relationship, their careers, and their relationships, relationships with their children. Now I want to start off with a little a little of the background. I'm gonna start with Joan Crawford because she's the oldest one. She's born on uh, March 23rd now nobody knows if it's 1904 1905,
1: 1906
0: or 1908 the census is 1904 but... and uh, she was born Lucille Fay Leseur in San Antonio, Texas. Um, as a child uh, her mother Mrs. Anna Casson her ch- as a child she was she, her father Thomas LaSeur. Abandoned her when she was ten months old, and then uh, she it, she was born. She also had a brother named Harold, uh, known as Hal. Now her mo- she she got the nickname Billy because she was such a tomboy, and uh, her father her, her mother married a man named Henry J. Casson, who she called Daddy Casson, and there is uh, rumors that he was sexually abusing her. And, um, but she actually really loved him when she, yeah, when she was 11, it's, uh, it's rumored that he was sexually abusing her. Now, um, her mother had her working in the laundry when she was a little girl, and she hated it. And one of her jobs was to put the clothes on the wire hanger, and that started a lifelong dislike of wire hangers. But her ambition was always to be a dancer. And, um. She, uh, she underwent three surgeries for, uh, for, uh, for, to escape piano lessons. She leapt from the porch of her home and cut her foot severely on a broken milk bottle. So she underwent three surgeries to, to repair the damage They made her unable to attend um, elementary school. So in June 1917, they moved to Missouri and, uh, where her stepfather was accused of embezzlement. Although he was acquitted, he was blacklisted. And uh, in 1922, she registered at uh, Stevens College. That's what she gave her birth year as 1906. She attended Stevens College for only a few months before the drawing, realizing she wasn't really college material. Now, she began a dancing career under the name of Lucille Lusser, worked in vaudeville. There was a rumor of a blue film. You heard about that, didn't you? Ooh. Yeah, so it was even covered in that Ryan Murphy miniseries, which we're going to talk about a little later. And she went, uh, she, uh, you know, after several years in vaudeville, she moved to L.A. and to Hollywood. And she was originally cast as a double for Norma Shearer in 1925. She still was named Lucille LeSeur And she also appeared in The Circle and Pretty Ladies, both uh, starring comedian Zazu Pitts. And then it was followed to uh, small, unbilled roles in two other 25,000 films, The Only Thing and The Merry Widow. So, um, MGM publicity had recognized her star quality, but he didn't like her name. He said, Lucille Lacerte, it sounds like the sewer. So, he had held a contest to change her name. And originally the name that won was Joan Arden. But they found out there already was a Joan Arden at one of the other studios, so they changed her name to Joan Crawford, which was the second place. She hated the name. She always thought Crawford sounded like crawfish, and she didn't like the name Joan. She said it was an old lady name. (laughs) So she used to make people call her Joanne. Now, she really was big at the reinvention and self-promotion and she, put, she she gave up the persona, persona of the flapper her, her her um that was her early persona was the flapper the, the the wild zany crazy young woman you know without a care in the world kind of sexually promiscuous uh, clara bow did actually did the flapper thing to a to a tea. and she turns, uh she she made several silent, silent films including uh, a a uh, play in a uh, young, skimpily clad carnival assistant in a movie called The Unknowns during Lon Chaney Sr. And, um, she also was in Odd Dancing Daughters and uh, uh, what was the other one? The, uh, Our Darling Maidens I think it's called. And on June 29th she, she married June 29th, 1929, she married Douglas Fairbanks Jr., the son of Douglas Fairbanks and stepson of Mary Pickford. And they were like the Hollywood royalty at the time. Never really accepted her. And so uh, all through the years, we're going to get in more into her, her marriages and personal life in a minute. I'm going to talk a little bit about, about her career. In the, in the, the 30s, she, she perfected that shop girl image. She was always the shop girl that makes it at the end. The girl that we all you know the girl that starts off the poor girl when in a movie called Sadie McKee she's the maid's daughter and in you know in, in several of the movies and she all there's dancing lady where she's an aspiring dancer with Clark Gable and um by the 1940s her contract with MGM she 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 had her contract she didn't like the the, the films they were giving her so she quit MGM and uh moved over to the Warner Brothers. This is where she started really clashing with Betty Davis. Who are we are going to get into in a minute? But in Warner Brothers, she perfected the long-suffering uh, and... What, what, uh, what does uh, Charles Bush calls it? The suffering and mink? <laughs> you know, like Mildred Pierce? Yes. She won an Oscar for the movie Mildred Pierce. In the 50s, her career went on into the 50s. She was like the middle-aged sex bomb in movies like Queen Bee and... Um, uh, Harriet Craig. And then in the 60s, that's when she got into the horror films. And we're going to talk about whatever happened to Baby Jane. She also did Straightjacket, Berserk, and her last movie was this horrible thing called Trog. So anyway, now we're going to go to her rival, who is Betty Davis. Where you got? Okay. There she is. Now, okay. Betty Davis was born Ruth Elizabeth Davis on April 5th, 1908. And um, to um, Lowell Davis and, and Ruthie Dave, Ruth Davis, uh, nicknamed Ruthie. As a child, she was um, she says that when she was born, at the moment of her birth, there was a big clap of thunder and lightning. She was born during a storm. She said, the world wasn't ready for me. that's betty davis isn't it love it to a t and she decided early in life that she wanted to be an actress so her mother took on a job as a photographer to make sure now the father was very very distant and cold and he wound up leaving them for another woman and um, betty never forgave him she stayed very pretty loyal to her mother to ruthie and she had a sister named bobby now, Betty um, did uh, several things on stage. One of her, uh, big, one of her uh, big breakthrough roles was the role of Hedwig, uh, the, um, the young girl, the daughter who commits suicide when her parents are divorcing in a movie called The Wild Duck. She wanted that role so bad, and she finally got it. And this led to Hollywood and a, contra- a short-term contract with Universal, which was her first film, was called Bad Sister, and it's very, very lackluster. And if you see it, you don't really see Betty Davis yet, you just see this vapid little ingenue. She doesn't even look like Betty Davis if you ever see this movie. But finally, she's let go from that, and she gets a call from a man who was a big actor back then, probably in the same vein as like Ian McKellen today, or you know. His name was George R. Liss, and he wanted her for a movie called The Man Who Played God. And that jump started her career. She went to Warner Brothers. Now, Warner Brothers, she was getting, she, they were doing the same thing Universal did. They gave her these crappy scripts. She didn't like it. So she begged to be loaned out to... What is the name of the, what was the studio she got loaned out to for a human bondage? I'm sorry, guys. I'm looking. I'm I'm kind of looking this stuff up as I go along. Yes, she got loaned out to RKO for of Human Bondage, where she played this nasty. No, no other actress wanted to play. Did you ever see of Human Bondage? So I Mildred to it, it to one. I wish, know where you're t- where you, you filthy t- slime, I always hated you. You used to, and when you kissed me, I always Oh, yeah, that was the one they made her mouth. look. They made her character was like one of the, yeah. And it was a nasty character. No actress in Hollywood wanted to play it. And she said, I am going to run with it. And she did. She did. And she never got the Academy Award nomination, but there was a bunch of people wrote her in. And she, um... She went. Then he started listening, so then he, she was cast in a movie called Dangerous with an actor named Franco Tone, which is what started the feud with Joan Crawford. Now later she became the, the she, she left Warner Brothers and, they, and, and went to England. They sued her. They won. She came back, they said, you know, maybe we got something good here. And they gave her a, a movie called Marked Woman, and from then on it was hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. Until 19, the late 1940s, she started losing steam, just about the time Joan Crawford joined the studio. And she was stuck making a movie called um, Beyond the Forest, which was a pretty bad movie. You're going to have to ask your little friend that's into the, but uh, well, he loved that movie anyway, I think. You know your friend that's into the classic films? Yes. Um, and that's the one that gave her one of her signature lines. What that line is? What a dump! (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so from there on, from from she, asked to be let out of her contract, and uh, she was. It was it was a pretty, lame movie, but really it's a real camp delight. Now they have her in this long black share kind of wig. You know, and she's playing an, a, a character that's at least ten or fifteen years younger than she actually is. <laughs> yeah. But she made the big old career comeback a, a, about a year later with All About Eve. She oh, played yeah. Margot Channing. She's one of her signature roles. And the fifties weren't. She didn't really do a whole lot in the fifties. She came back in the sixties, starting with a movie called uh, Pocketful of Miracles, where she plays old Bag Lady, whose daughter Anne Margaret. Oh. Thinks that she's a a a, um, a dowager type of a uh, rich woman, and this gangster helps co- cover it up and it gives her a makeover and everything. And Margaret plays a daughter. Glenn Ford is the gangster. So and then and then came whatever happened to Baby Jane, which we can talk about in a minute. So now what I want to talk about is their personal lives and what happened. Okay, first of all, when Bay Davis was filming Dangerous which she actually wound up winning an Academy Award for. Yes. Her co-star was Francho Tone. Now, the first thing I read that caused their feud was that when Betty Davis got her contract at Warner Brothers, the same day Joan Crawford announced her divorce from Douglas Fairbanks Jr., so Joan th- stole her thunder in the press. <laughs> and that started a little rift right there. And she was always being compared to Joan. Even Douglas Fairbanks told her, You ought to ice your nipple like my wife Joan does. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she's filming Dangerous and she's filming with this actor, Franchel Tone. He's a, he's a New York stage actor that came to Hollywood to become a star. He became like a. Actually, he became like a, the, the guy that's in the movies where the woman is the bigger draw, you know. Like Betty Davis and like Joan Crawford. He made both movies with both of them. So, she fell in love with Ron Tone, even though she was married to a man named, um, a guy named Ham. What was her first husband's name? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and they called him Ham. And she, she claims that the, the, he, was a, he was a musician, and she was married to him, and she fell in love with Ron Tone, still having an affair with him, but Joan Crawford stole him from her and married oh. him. That started it. Oh, yeah. And from then on, the hatred just grew. Bitch grew took her main. Grew. It was bitch. <laughs> so, Betty, uh, in the in the meantime, Betty's becoming this big star at Warner. They even called her the right. fifth Warner brother. And Joan's career is starting to wane. She had, she had like, a peak with the women. You ever saw the women? Oh, yeah. That was an intense one. That was, like, her peak at, what, at MGM. Sorry. And she started making all these bad movies, including one uh, where she's, one of them with John Wayne, where she's really miscast. Because she has no chemistry with John Wayne whatsoever. So, um, she comes to Warner Brothers. And her and Betty already hate each other. They, they don't really like each other much. But she decides, she really admired Betty's talent. And she wanted for Betty to, she, she, she wanted to become friends with her. So she kept on um, giving her gifts, and Betty would give the gifts back. And Betty said she was trying to woo her, because it was rumored that Joan was bisexual. I don't know how true that is. And um, so finally, you know, Betty gets the nomination for an Oscar. Then Betty makes a movie called The Star, which she gets nominated for an Oscar, which is about a movie star on the skids that was based on Joan Crawford. And that, didn't, <laughs> that didn't sit too well with Miss Crawford. <laughs> so, let's fast forward to 1962. Well, 1961 was when this all started. Both of them's careers are in the toilet. They're older. They're no longer making the kind of movies they used to make. Betty's doing a, a play, a, a, a version of, a, a production of Uh, Night of the Iguana on Broadway. She's not really getting uh, along well with any of the Broadway actors. At one point, when she comes on stage, the audience applauds and she goes to, to the end of the stage and bows, which is something you don't do in the theater. You don't break that fourth wall, you know? I don't know if you've ever done a play, but... You're not supposed. It's not like you do doing stand-up comedy or or anything like that. And she goes to the edge of the stage and really, really pisses off Patrick O'Neill and who uh, with Margaret Layton, who were his who were the co-stars. that were always so on the stage. And Joan comes to her with a with a book called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which is about two sisters. One of them was a big child star, and the other one becomes a big movie star when they grow up. And Supposedly, the drunken ex-child star runs a car into a gate and cripples her sister. So during the filming of this movie, it was a, they, they, they were a little bit cordial. They, you know, they, they, they Robert Aldridge, the the director, he kind of kept them away from each other as much as possible. But there were a couple of incidents. There was one of them where um, Betty has to beat up Joan, and she's supposed to kick her, but not quite connect with her, but she gives her a big old giant kick in the head. And that's actually in the miniseries. <laughs> so, too, Betty had a bad back because she had fallen some years earlier and broken her back. And, and she still had problems with her back. So Joan weighted herself in one scene where Betty has to pull her out of bed. <laughs> so, um, the movie finishes. Comes a big, big hit, The Two of Stars again. But, Unfortunately, the Academy Award nominations come out. Betty's nominated, but Joan isn't. Joan's pissed. Oh, yeah. So she calls every nominee and tells them, if you can't be there, I'll accept the award for you. So it turns out Betty was a favorite to win, but what happens is so Joan goes and she gets her hair done. She gets, she gets everything. She gets a new dress. She, she just dresses to the nines. And one of the other nominees is the one who winds up winning, is Anne Bancroft for The Miracle Worker. And Joan, more or less, it's ru- this is it's rumored. It's rumored that she, Betty's standing there in the wings, just shocked because she didn't get it. And Joan passes by and says, uh, Excuse me, Betty, I have an Oscar to accept. And Joan accepts the Oscar. Stole Betty's thunder. Betty really wanted more than anything to have that third Oscar before anybody else, any other actress did. Since then, ha- Catherine Hepburn has had four of them. Frances McDormand, who just won, this was her third one. Yes, yeah, so she. And I think didn't um, didn't tell, did Sally Field get three of them? I think Meryl streep got three of them, and I think Jessica Lange got three of them. I'm not sure, but anyway, Aldridge and the uh, the studio wants to reunite Betty and uh, Betty and Joan for another movie. So, you know. It's filmed right here in Louisiana called Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. And in this one, um, the first one, uh, Betty is torturing Joan. Joan's an invalid that Betty's torturing. This one, Betty's an invalid that Joan's torturing. But Betty made life for Joan so fucking miserable that Joan Crawford pretended faked illness. And she just kept on not coming in, not coming in, not coming in. And... Eventually, they had to fire and they replaced her with Olivia De Havilland. So anyway, Joan dies in 1977, and uh, Betty keeps going, going on. She's making more movies. She more or less move, moves to TV movies later in her career. And in 1977, Joan Crawford dies, and it's rumored that she said, "My mother told me never to speak ill of the dead. Oh yes, only good. Joan Crawford's dead. Good." It's also rumored that um, she said, oh, Joan Crawford, dead, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Betty lived, uh, Betty continued to make more movies, continued to be a pain in the ass to some people. Um, what should have been her last film was Wales of August with Lillian Geish. And uh, she was a terror on that one and caused poor Lillian Geish to retire from the movies. And she also did a TV movie with Helen Hayes, but she also <laughs> was a terror and scared poor Helen Hayes into retirement. And Betty wound up dying in 1989 at, at the age of 81 from cancer. So now we're going to get into their children. All right. Joan. Oh, what well, did look it
1: up for you. So you were right. the only uh, – so you're right. She never did get the third Oscar, and – the, uh, Catherine Hepburn, you're right, is the only one with four. Ingrid Bergman had three.
0: Yeah, but one of them was supporting.
1: Yeah, Meryl Streep had three. Yeah. Which I think one was supporting on that as well. And Frances McDormand actually just got the third. The third, and they're all
0: best actress, I believe. Frances McDormand, I'm not sure. I
1: think so. Yeah. Cause was, yeah all of hers are best. Yeah. Wow,
0: she deserved it, too, because she's a great actress. Frances McDormand, but yeah, all that, of those women are really. But yeah,
1: yeah, when you look back, oh, Betty Betty Davis kind of really did deserve that one.
0: Yeah, much well, more than Ann Bancroft did, I think. Anne very Be- much yeah. So. But anyway, so um, now we can get to the children. Yeah. Go ahead, I had to clarify that. And thing. this is where this is where things get interesting. This is where she they, these women coincide with our series. Uh, Joan always wanted children. She was uh, pregnant a few times with Franchot Tone, and uh, she lost them. She she had a bunch of miscarriages. She had some she had miscarriages with uh, Douglas Fairbanks, and um, so she decides to adopt a child. In 1939, she adopts a little girl that she um, at first names Joan like John Crawford Jr., but then she decided that was, wasn't a really good idea, so she, um, she changes her name to Christina, and then she dro- adopts a little boy named Christopher. A few years later, now I'd always heard that she adopted these girls, called them twins, and they actually weren't even related, but now I hear they really were twins. So, uh, Cindy and Kathy, and both of them recently passed away. The only one of, of Joan's children that's still alive is Christina. Now, um, in 1959, she married the Pepsi uh, Cola, Al Steele, who was the CEO of Pepsi, Pepsi Cola. Okay. And she, that's when she got really associated with Pepsi Cola. And, Betty, uh, and, uh, and Hush Hush sweet Charlotte and Baby Jane, she had a Pepsi machine. Installed and Betty Davis went and had a Coke machine installed yes, right next yes, to it. Yes. <laughs> so, the, so
1: the soda feud happened, yeah. That was the first uh, software well, sold. Alongside their feud. That was there the was, first soda there wars. Was the, there was the soda wars. Yes. That was the beginning
0: of the soda wars. So um, now, when Joan died in 1977. A year later, her daughter Christina writes a book called Mommy Dearest, oh, to yes. which she describes this uh, horrible abuse. By a woman who had many problems with her, um, with, um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the studios and with men, and she, she she describes what they call used to call a night raid, where Joan, the, the kids would be sleeping, and Joan would get drunk and pissed off about something, and would raid them and scream at them and start beating them, and she also used to keep the son Christopher in a, um, Restraint in this bit. Oh. Well, some people came out to to some some of Hollywood people came out to defend her. Some of them said Christina was right. One of them was Helen Hayes, because her son James MacArthur he had spent the night had a sleepover with with Christopher, and she she strapped both of them in. And you know Helen wasn't too crazy about her son being strapped in <laughs> somebody else. Mm-mm. So. Um, of course, Mommy Dearest, you know, she, um... It's, you know, poison pen all the way. I mean, hatchet job on... my—that's Even the name Mommy Dearest has been... Is, is associated with a really bad mom. I almost named our series that. But I wanted to do this podcast, and, you know, I figured it would be a little bit too much. I wanted to do this episode. So I thought the mama Mia was a little cuter anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um... 1981 movie is the, the book is made to a movie starring Faye Dunaway, and it just becomes a camp classic. Oh, oh, I mean, uh, big proportions. Because first of all, Faye Dunaway plays Joan Crawford like she's like it's one of her movies. She plays it like she's doing one of Joan Crawford's. She plays Faye, a movie star. Faye Dunaway was amazing. Okay. Yeah. But she played, like, I mean, as a matter of fact, she I, she got so associated, because that caused a, a, a resurgence of Joan Crawford's career, because she was almost getting to be, you know, you really didn't see right. many of her movies anymore. And when I got so, Joe, Faye Dunaway's Joan Crawford was so embedded in everybody's minds that when they start watching movies with the real Joan Crawford, they were kind of taken aback about how much different she looked from Faye Dunaway. Right well this movie was supposed to be like a sad little uh, you know thing and it just turned out to be uh total camp especially the night raid scene with the wire hangers oh uh, they were even the bourbon pub in in the french quarter showed yeah Showed it. they had you know the mommy dearest drink the mommy dearest it was vodka and pepsi oh yes and for the garnish they had a little they took some paper clips and made them into the little wire hangers and and on the straw. They they <laughs> and then they had a uh, uh, vodka <laughs> diet Pepsi was a Mildred Pierce. which <laughs> is a big role where she plays the doting mom who gets slapped by a daughter. Oh, so, God, um, yes. Betty Davis said, you know, it's, um, she actually believed the things that, that was in Christina's book, but she said she really and truly didn't think it was re- very nice of her. You know, there still was her mother. And no matter what, she shouldn't be, you know, write poison. She says, "My daughter will never write a book about me." Well, guess what happens a few years later. (laughs) Let's get this. Betty Davis had one natural child. Her name was uh, Barbara uh, Barbara Davis uh, Barbara Davis Merrill. She called her BD, and then she adopted a a son named Michael and a young a daughter named Margot. Well, Margot wound up having this some really mental mental problems. Was seriously challenged. And wound up going to a school. But Betty kept on supporting her the rest of her life. Uh, Now, um, Betty Davis was very, very doting to B.D. And B.D. was on the set of Baby Jane. And actually wound up playing The Next Door Neighbor. And um, Crawford didn't like B.D. hanging around her twins. Because B.D. was a little more worldly, you know. And the twins were kind of... They were kept in line because <laughs> Joan Crawford was a very, very stern disciplinarian. Now, um, a few years later, guess what happens? B.D. writes a book called My Mother's Keeper to where she describes her mother the same, pretty much the same way Christine described Joan. Drunk, abusive, uh, control freak, wanting to control her whole life. And the thing is, is the reason she, she she became a born again Christian and she claims that God told her to write this book about her mother. And she writes a mother, right? The book comes out right as her mother had just had a stroke, Mm -mm. had a mastectomy and a stroke during the mastectomy. And Betty was devastated. Yeah. So Betty wrote a book of her own called This and That, where she, she tells, uh, she t- one of the things she tells B- B.D. is, um, I, uh, I don't understand the title of your book, My Mother's Keeper, when I, I am the one who's been keeping you all these years, and the only reason why your book is selling is because my because of my name. So, it really, it ruined uh, Betty's life, and, uh, and she, you know, she was brokenhearted the rest of her life, you know, for about the next three or four years. And, um, what do you think about all this? Do you, how do you feel about both books, and how... I mean, okay, so, I don't know
1: if you had mentioned it, but astrologically, both of these women are Aries. Yeah. Aries, and it's kind of funny, we, uh, we're... You know, Aries are, in a sense, I mean, there are a lot of great Aries people, but Aries people always have an ego and always will.
0: Yeah. They're ruled by the first house. And both of these women have huge They're ruled
1: by the first house. They're ruled by Mars. They're all about identity. They're all about, who am I? I am. And in these instances of the women, it would be, I am Betty Davis. I am Joan Crawford. I am this person. Yeah you know so that comes with a level of ego now with that said what we know about Joan Crawford yeah I do think that ego really really crossed lines into a level that was considered probably quite could be quite abusive
0: yes well, and you know what, Joan Crawford tried to, to, to because of her quote quote, humble beginnings. She almost always, always tried to to to, um, to really oversell this lady thing. Like she she would uh, she had these she was really really strict on etiquette. You remember she how she made. She used to make Christina dre- the children dress up. Well,
1: that's in her case. That was a, she's a little too image conscious. Like, like that's the whole I am the identity for her was a was a strong image consciousness. Yeah.
0: And she tried to oversell this thing to the point where she had this phoniness about her. You know, they call it Hollywood phoniness. And now several actresses had that, including Olivia De Havilland was like that. Uh, Loretta Young. And Betty Davis was. Let's see. Betty Davis been well, I see down you're calling broad.
1: it phoniness, but what I actually am putting on this, like knowing what I'm looking at here, is the phoniness is actually of her own create. Like you're right that in her well, mind, yeah. she's creating her own reality, is what I think happened. Well, yeah. Now Betty Davis has a whole different story. I think Betty Davis probably did have maybe some level of. There may have been some narcissism. Of there was narcissism, but there was also a little more pain with her and how she processed hers. And I will say, it probably was through either substances, at least probably alcohol. Some that's probably act that part. Oh, both of them were alcoholics.
0: Well, yeah, both were
1: alcoholics. Uh, Betty's Betty's, though, I think really was a much, and I kind of they kind of depict that even in the feud as well as much kind of a sadder kind of alcoholic in a way. You know, well, already, and, yeah, I'm
0: lonelier. She was yeah. um, and I think that um, And I
1: think for for her it was always the option of do people really love me? Is what I get is what I get out of Betty Davis. Whereas Joan's just like they better love me. Betty was like I hope they love me.
0: Well Joan was you know, Joan was, was little, more physically attractive than Betty.
1: Well no but yeah I get that. But what I'm saying is I'm saying the factor of this is the, the mentality I feel like Betty Davis was always mentally thinking more, processing more well, of, do they really love me? Am I really loved? Whereas Jones just like they better love me. Well, like I said, Betty Davis
0: was considered wasn't was considered unattractive by a lot of people. So that had to really hurt when and her daughter wrote that. One of the things she said uh, it was uh, I think I told you about this earlier. They both did town hall meetings and. Um, Joan said that working with Betty Davis was a challenge. She says, uh, Betty and I are of a different temperament. Betty likes to yell, I knit. And then she says, I knit the scarf from L.A. the Malibu. <laughs> she was knitting. <laughs> but Joan Crawford had a, it was not of a different temperament. She was every bit as volatile as Betty Davis. Every bit.
1: Oh, temperament's one thing. But <sighs> trying to look at is is the... There are differences between them. There's similarities, yeah. but there's also differences. And what I'm getting at is, when you look at these books being written, I get the, just from the way things are presented, things are sad, it feels as if Joan Crawford's perception of her daughter is, okay, my daughter just Totally messed up my image, you know.
0: Well, and she didn't even know. That no, she from, was dead by the time the book was written. Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> or oh, that's right, she was dead. But we're saying the thing with her daughter was saying things or whatever. But she know. did
0: have the daughter used to say little little, little snarky things. I apologize she for that, got that.
1: I'm messing up the I'm trying to think back when they were before the book was written. When the daughter would try to say things against them. One of the things that,
0: that happened is is Joan tried to keep herself as young as possible, for as long as possible. And Christina did a role on a, on a soap opera. I believe it was Love of Life. And um, I remember my mom used to watch the soap opera. And she got sick. She had, some, she had to, to have surgery for a tumor or something that was a, an ovarian tumor. And Joan took her place on the show. And Christine, when you interview her today, she says, she stole my job. I don't know if that was a bad thing so much because I think that maybe she was doing it so that they wouldn't replace her with another young actress. But on the other hand, she's a 65-year-old woman playing a 28-year-old girl. That's a little bit strange, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, okay, so... And, I mean, being that she's Joan Crawford, and this girl is just a soap opera actress, she think she she knew she was kind of stealing her thunder. Well, this is the thing though. With
1: I was you're kind of helping with what I was talking about with Joan. I feel this is another angle way to look at it. Joan Crawford, I feel like she feels she owns people.
0: They yeah.
1: don't own her; she owns them. That includes her children, all that. Betty Davis, I don't think always felt necessarily like she owned people, but. It was more of this concept, am I not a part of you? Aren't you a part of me kind of deal? So it's it's a difference between ownership and belonging. I feel like Betty Davis wanted to believe she belonged in people's lives. There was more of that idea of a relationship, whereas Joan Crawford was like, you're mine. But you know, I own you. There's a little, there's a so I think there's a difference. P- there's a
0: picture of Joan Crawford holding Christine when she's a baby, and she holds her like an Oscar. <laughs> and I looked at that and I said, She looks like she's holding a baby, but she looks like she's holding an Oscar. And um I think Jo I think both of them get bad raps. First of all, I don't think Betty was as unattractive as people try to say, or as she thinks I she don't ever think she is. I don't know i do not think it. as Joan Crawford was as bad of an actress as some people no, have tried I don't to say. Think she, I think she was really good. I think Joan Crawford was a good actress, and I think Betty Davis was an attractive woman. And especially in her younger days, if you see the movie Jezebel, she's actually beautiful in that and movie. And actually,
1: some of the things where they say Joan Crawford's not a good actress was actually because the script she was given was shit to begin with. And a lot and of... People it, might hate me for what I just said about those screenwriters, but there was some shit screenwriting that was given to Joan Crawford. And yeah, and women. you
0: know what? Back in the 30s, they still weren't... They still didn't quite have the the movie acting thing down. In the silent films, it was all over the top like they were on stage because you couldn't hear them speak, so they had to act it out. And they were still doing a lot of that in the 30s. It's still getting a little bit more restrained in the 40s, in the late 30s, in the 40s, in the 50s. But in the, in the early 30s, which was Crawford's original heyday, they were still acting their little hearts out. And another thing... Um, is, uh, and, and, and you know, i right, I don't think Bey Davis is as unattractive as people try to make her I, out to be. I don't today. think she is. I don't no. see where they see and, it. And uh, oh, this is one of the things Bay Davis always said Joan Crawford was a movie star, but she wasn't a movie star, she was an actress. I don't think Bay Davis could have been, she couldn't have been more of a movie star. She was a movie star. You were in films, you're a movie star. Yeah, okay. she was a movie star. There's no way she could say, well, I'm not a movie star. 'Cause she thought movie stars being some vapid shallow thing. And that's not that no. She was a movie star. There's nothing wrong with being a movie star, Betty. You can be a movie star <laughs> and an actress, yes. So anyway, uh, yeah, both uh so um I felt about okay about the um my mother's keeper and the religious aspects. I just felt that Ugh. that was so And so later, years later B.D. Hyman, uh, V. Davis's daughter, who now has her own ministry, said that her mother was a witch and a demon, and she saw her mother turn into some demonic creature during a spell one time.
1: Well, you're gonna see whatever you want if that's what you're looking
0: for. And she also <laughs> accuses her mother as promoting homosexuality because she has hmm. uh, because she's you know she's such a gay icon. So it sounds almost like she resents that. But it's so funny. You'll see some some interviews of her, and she's talking about what a great mother she was before she found God. I guess, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm not saying anything bad about people who have found God. I'm happy if you did. But this, you know, God's not going to tell you to write a poem. not isn't, isn't one of the Ten Commandments honor thy mother and thy father?
1: Oh, and I'm not getting it. It. Oh, that. Oh,
0: please, I'm not getting into that. And she's breaking that. No, but she's saying God told her to write that poison you know. pen book about it. Well,
1: her mom. but the thing is, is wait, wait, Betty. She knows her mother craved that relationship, that wanting that mother-daughter belong. Even if things weren't great, she knew her mother craved that. But, in, but her mother may have had her own terms of how she wanted that, Betty yeah so BD just turned around and be like well, well then she found whatever religion and so if she her mother couldn't be on the terms she wanted then she wasn't gonna it was kind of like this way to get back at her mom and some on some, it, it, it's a it's it's so there's a lot deeper going on there well I mean, both of them religion's is the just the face on. yeah oh yeah, yeah. Jones's a
0: little easier to understand though yeah. Betty's was
1: it's a lot more. Cryptic. And so,
0: and, it, and it was something. Christina was the first to do that. I mean, many, many, many more poison pin Hollywood brat books have come now. Bing Crosby's son wrote one about him. Loretta Young's daughter wrote one about her. Uh, Lana Turner's daughter wrote one. That that followed, but Christina was the first one to do it.
1: And the sad part is, is I kind of think, Bay Davis had a point. They're writing this shit. And it's really just because they're using their names, and yeah. it's, it's like they're making money off of their parents. Yeah, Thing. because if you wouldn't be writing a book if your if your mom was not famous. What's
0: ironic is Faye Dunaway, who played Joan Crawford in *Mommy Dears, also feuded with Betty Davis. They did a TV movie together about Amy Semple McPherson, where Betty Davis played her mother, and Betty Davis talked about how unprofessional she was and how horrible she was to work with. And I'm thinking, wow. She had a feud with two John Crawfords.
1: <laughs> so I have to mention, we everybody talks about Betty Davis's classic roles and all of that stuff. Yes, but being a child of the '80s, my first memory of Betty Davis was in one of her
0: last roles. Not wicked stepmother? When she played the old lady on Watch It in the Woods. Oh, Watcher in the Woods. Okay. Oh, yeah. and I
1: loved her in Watch It in the Woods. You know,
0: I've never seen it. That's one of her movies I've never You've seen. You've never Watcher seen Watch
1: in the Woods? Oh my gosh. Betty Davis plays this creepy old lady. Just just it
0: I gotta find oh. I bet you it's on Disney. I gotta find it,
1: it. It was it might be, but it is. Yeah, she also
0: did uh, Return to Witch Mountain too, where she played the witch.
1: Yeah, but watch nothing beats Watch in the Woods though. Well, I gotta see it. Yeah, now you got Watch me for- in the Woods. And, and and people when they talk about Betty Davis' eyes, it, I don't know if it was because of the age or whatever her eyes. With but, but by that point, it had all the experience and the wisdom and everything. there's just something about the and they made sure to capture even in that movie that that looked from her. Yeah. So if you have not seen it, I I, I encourage you to go see, to to watch Watch in the Woods.
0: So before we go, there's a couple of recommendations I want to make. John Constantine, right after Betty Davis died in 1989, and he's also no longer with us now, wrote a great book called Betty and Joan, The Divine Feud, which I believe is available on, uh, on Kindle. But I know it, the audio version of it is available on YouTube, and a, um, a um, it's a channel called uh, Continuing uh, the Continuing Crawford. What's it called? Uh, I don't know. Something that is, was Joan Crawford the Continuing chapter or something like that. And he has a lot of uh, you know interviews with Joan Crawford, interviews with Betty Davis. But they have the entire audio book on there, and it's also available for, uh, on Audible too. And um some the movies I'd like to recommend, another thing I want to recommend is uh Ryan what's his name? Ryan <laughs> Murphy. Ryan Murphy. It had a senior moment there from <laughs> uh the Ryan Murphy miniseries, Betty and Joan, The Divine Feud. Now the only way to find that now I think it's on D V D and I think you can buy it from either Hulu from what? either Voodoo Feud? Feud, yeah. It's not on, they didn't put that with the It's not on Hulu, because one of the reasons why they didn't, it it actually got pulled for a while because of the lawsuit Olivia de Havilland was doing. Olivia de Havilland was suing them because she didn't like the way she was portrayed. And And it wasn't
1: even that big of a role. And on top of it, on top of it, didn't she get Catherine Zeta-Jones was playing her? Yeah she got a fabulous actress to play her. And a
0: beautiful woman, too. Yes.
1: I mean, <laughs> oh, go sit down.
0: I mean, that's really a compliment when Catherine's we here.
1: love you, Olivia, to have on the, on the other side now, but come on, girl. Yeah, and well, you know, it's
0: just... Uh, just in case she's listening from the other side. But you can buy... You can actually can buy it on Vudu and Amazon, uh, you know, for streaming. So, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if it's available on DVD or not. I might even check out and see. Before we go, it was now. It was on Netflix at one point, but I don't no, know if I, I removed no, it No, it never was on Netflix. Has yes, it I was? thought
1: it was. No. no, let's see.
0: Let's see. Yeah. Few no, days, Bendy looking... and June. Yeah, it's on Prime Video. And. Also, in there is when Betty met Mae West. They have it was recorded, and they have actresses playing them. Yeah, you have to buy it on you have to buy it on Prime. It's a dollar ninety nine an episode, and I don't know how much the whole season is. The whole season in HD is seventeen ninety nine, which is a good deal. And you could buy it on Voodoo, too for a similar price. Now, all right, and and there's some of the Betty and Day, Betty and Joe movies I like. One of the Betty, one of, the Joan, my, one of my favorite Joan Crawford movies is Queen Bee. It shows it. It shows her playing mommy dearest to the hilt, and um, you know it, it's, and Harriet Craig, she's she's playing the mommy dearest right in that too. But I also like Mildred Pierce, and I like the Western Johnny Guitar.
1: And Mildred Pierce actually, uh, interesting enough, had gotten remade with uh, Kate Winslet.
0: Yeah, it did. It was made we made this. But what, what they did is they followed the book cuz they couldn't follow that book in the 1940s it was just too too risqué. But they followed the book boy now. And I
1: think and, it was more of a mini series instead of It a, was a mini series. Now and, watch the Kate Winslet. And it was one. much
0: more, yeah. It, it was it was it
1: was it was okay. It, it was, was my mu- it
0: was much more um what you call it uh, risqué. Yeah. And um Betty Davis movies, some of my favorite ones, are Mr. Skeffington, where she actually plays a beautiful woman, a beautiful searchlight, and, of course, I love All About Eve, I loved. I'm sorry, I like Beyond the Forest, where she says, what a dump, and that's a hard one to find right now, and, of course, Baby Jane and Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, you know, can't beat either one of those movies, and, uh, some of her early stuff, and Jezebel's great, also, so, anyway, um, we love Betty and Joan, and Happy Thanksgiving. What is wrong with me? Where's happy, your brain at? Man, where's my brain at? I think I'm recording too many episodes, and it's, it's all like 1.25 a.m. It's m. Happy Mother's
1: Day. Mother's Day.
0: Okay, so Happy Mother's Day to all our Creepster fans, <laughs> and until next time, enjoy the view from the open shutters.
1: But don't fall out the window. Happy
0: Mother's Day, everybody.